This is Theology Refresh. I'm David Mathis on this Desiring God podcast for pastors and other leaders. Thank you for joining us. We're sitting here today with John Piper, and our topic is the celebrity factor and the recent conversation about uh, pastors and the internet and the celebrity status of many. And we thought it might be helpful here to touch on that subject as Pastor Piper has done some writing and thinking about it in the past and in the present. John, there was as early as 2002 at Bethlehem when the church was thinking through multi-campus. There was discussion, and you wrote a paper called The Celebrity Factor, pondering the implications of Pastor John's preaching for church planting and satellite dreaming. Um, What were the things that you guys were wrestling with in those days that would be of help to us to think on now? One of the arguments against multi-campusing using video was that it seemed to exalt a man and uh, so we wanted to wrestle with that is that is that true was there something self-exalting about my desire to move towards multi-campusing even though I was one of the slow adopters um, versus building a, a much larger sanctuary downtown and it, it seems to me that it seemed then, still seems, that the issue of what attracts attention to a man is equally vulnerable, whether it's building a 5,000-person sanctuary where he stands at the middle in front of 5,000 people or whether you build uh, three campuses with 1,000-person uh, sanctuaries filled twice, uh, or and, and he's there on, on the video. So... It seemed like a wash to me as far as the actual dangers. The dangers are always there, whether it's one room that's really big and a lot of people are looking, or three rooms that are smaller and a lot of people are looking in three different places. So that, that was the that was the issue. And and what I what I brought up with regard to whether my voice is even needed. I mean, that was the question of some: is can't, can't we have three preachers? Um, uh, or or some other solution besides using the video with you being being the voice. One was, I think, to be one church, we needed a Sunday morning unifying teaching. And with regard to my voice, it seems to me that the, the goal of a preacher, my goal anyway, is to be as, as faithful to the text as I can be, to be as clear in my explanation as I can be, to be as pointed and uh, living and vital in my application as I can be, and to be as authentic in my experience of the text as I, as I give it and live it as I can be. And if, if I succeed at those, people get help. I mean, real help. I'm talking spiritually alive people who aren't looking for celebrities. They're looking for help for their faith. If they come to church and the text is made clear, the text is applied with power to their lives, the pastor seems real, like he's experiencing it, they tend to get help and they come back. And they tend to admire that. A pastor can't stop that from happening. He wants the clarity to happen. He wants the power to happen. 
He wants the experience and authenticity to happen, and that it results in them getting help and therefore admiring, liking, and coming back. He can't stop that. If he shifts his goals around so that he begins to to fudge on the truth or the application mm-hmm. or the experience, say, what I really want is for them to come back. What I really want is for them to like me. Then he shifted over toward a celebrity mindset instead of a, a pastoral servant mindset. And so I'm okay with the fact that um, people want to come back and be uh, helped by the Word of God being opened. So that's what I tried to open up in that 2002 paper is just to distinguish the, the, the negative name-dropping manipulative use of public life in order to stroke your ego, that would be the celebrity side, versus the, the servant, I love the Word of God, I want to explain the Word of God, I want to apply the Word of God, I want to experience the Word of God, and if people get help from that, yes, so be it. We exist to spread a passion for the supremacy of God by the opening of God's Word. We want people to be thrilled by that. In the paper called The Celebrity Factor from 2002, you listed a couple negative reasons to be attracted to a leader. One of those, the vicarious sense of self-exaltation, like name-dropping. The second being the pleasure one gets from the style alone, but not the content of the message. And then, as you mentioned here, uh, the positive reasons to be attracted to a leader uh, is that he's a faithful expositor of the Word of God. And then secondly, that that understanding kindles our affections. Yeah, yeah let me let me jump in there. I, I don't know where you're going to go with that, but <laughs> that does bring to my mind. Um, there are people, and it's maddening to a preacher, who who are not born again, who can enjoy preaching. I mean, that's scary, really scary. And what they enjoy about it is his. He really believes what he's saying. I think that's what Ben Franklin said about George Whitfield. He didn't believe what he said. He just said, there's a man that believes what he's saying. I enjoy listening to him. And he's loud. <laughs> or you might believe, you might find his, his illustrations riveting, you know, his stories. Or you might find his logic to be fascinating. All these, these structural, superficial uh, elements, if, if that becomes the goal of the preacher, I'm going to use logic, I'm going to use illustration, uh, I'm, I'm going to use certain kinds of intonations so that I uh, f- fascinate or tickle the ears of those non-believers out there, then he's, he's moved into a wrong mindset. He wants, he wants clarity. He wants spiritual power. He wants the Holy Spirit to move and rock people's worlds and turn them upside down so that nobody can sit there and listen and, and like what he's saying without being born again. That's, that's the goal. It was a, uh, a 2009 blog post right after you got back from an event in North Carolina that local media covered, and you had some reflections on that topic. The post was called uh, Hero Worship and Holy Emulation. It's June 10th, 2009. And there you created those two categories, uh, hero worship on the one hand and holy emulation on the other. Uh, help us with those categories and the significance there. Uh, yeah, the word worship is is the operative word, because it's okay to have heroes. <laughs> it's not okay to worship them. It's not okay to elevate them uh, so that you begin to admire what they do, regardless of what they do. I think in in the world, when you get a, a rock star who's your rock star, 
Well, if they sleep around, then it's cool to sleep around. You know, if they use foul language, it's cool to, if they dress skimpy, it's cool to be skimpy. In, in other words, what they do defines what's cool rather than uh, the, the other way around, that you have standards and they meet those standards and therefore they're admirable. So that, that's, the, that's the danger of hero worship moving towards worship rather than just having heroes that you then emulate because they're holy. That was the other side, holy emulation. And the texts, I think I, think I put about eight of them in the, in, in the article. Be imitators of me, Paul said, as I am of Christ. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. That's a really interesting one. That was from Philippians 3.17 because there he's moving it out a generation. Like there's Christ, there's me who imitates him, and then there's those who follow me, and I want you to follow them. So you got four generations of imitation going on here of people who have lived up to a certain kind of vision and people are being stirred up by it. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And, and there's a whole lot of those. So the Bible clearly says to Christian leaders like me, live in such a way that you will be able to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's an unbelievably dangerous calling and necessary calling, it seems to me. I mean, the opposite would be to say, uh, pay no attention to my life because I live like the devil and I contradict everything that I preach. That wouldn't be biblical either. What you want is to so live that you can say to people, I am an imperfect saint laboring to follow Jesus in these ways. Watch me, and insofar as I conform to Jesus, conform to me. That was the distinction between holy emulation on the one side and and hero worship on the other. And then, as you're emulated, there comes the discrepancy between being a holy hero and being a kind of celebrity and there's requests for autographs and for photos maybe in particular for authors as there's a kind of mystique sometimes with an author uh, how do you handle those post-service or post-conference situations where somebody wants an autograph or photograph with you as the hero right the setting makes a difference somewhat. Um, after our services, I explicitly invite people to come pray. So I find it somewhat annoying if they come for a photograph. Um, however, in the way I've sorted things out, um, I haven't said we don't do that here. Be- and the reason I don't is because it seems to hurt more than it helps. I would rather solve the problem of autographs and photographs from the big picture and the general teaching, try to create a situation where it feels and seems inappropriate, rather than saying to a concrete particular person, uh, this is inappropriate. Here's the reason. Um, You don't know what's in their hearts, especially children. I mean, when a chill, when a chill, I used to, I used to have a rule: I don't sign Bibles. I didn't write the Bible for goodness' sakes. Why would I sign the Bible? And and I I turned away some nine-year-olds that just looked absolutely crestfallen, like I had, you know, just dumped on them a truckload of sanctimonious. I don't do that sort of thing, and I said to myself, you know what? 
this is more self-serving to me than it is servanthood to these kids. It really is. And so I just, I just jumped that. I just jumped. I said, okay, I'm going to sign this Bible. I usually sign it way down in the bottom corner. <laughs> I put a Bible verse under it that points to Jesus, and I'm hoping for the best motives. And, and the motives would be, I want to grow up and be a preacher someday. Or I want to grow up and, and have, have a wife and five kids someday and maybe be a pastor. I, I want to grow up and be a godly person someday. And I'm looking to you and you're special to me. And I think that if, if Jonathan Edwards were around, I'd want to hang out real close to him. And if Paul were around, I know I'd want to hang out real close to him. And so there are godly motives and you just don't know what's in people's hearts. So I, I I personally try to be as humbly thankful and say to people, thanks for the, my typical word is thanks for the encouragement. Thanks for the encouragement. I'm putting them in the position of serving me. Thank you for encouraging me by wanting my picture or wanting my signature as 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 uncomfortable as I feel about it. And I just read uh, James McDonald's comment on this and it was so right. He said this is a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation because if if you if you say no, then you seem like you're above all that and I've, I'm better than all those other people who let you take their pictures. And if you do, you know that there's somebody over there watching you, sitting in the third pew saying, this church is driven by a celebrity and he's eating this up, when in fact we're not eating this up. We wish this would go away. You know, we're here to pray. We want to talk with people about their souls, mm-hmm. and we, we don't want to do that. So um, I, I generally simply accede to the moment, try to create an atmosphere where it doesn't happen, but where, where it does happen, you accede to it, you assume the best motive on the part of the others, you yield to it, you give them what they ask for, you thank them for their kindness to you in wanting it and, and hope that good comes from it all. And what we're getting to is that the bottom line for the pastor and the Christian leader is the heart. It, it is. It is. I, I uh, was talking to the Bethlehem Seminary guys yesterday about this and saying as far as the preacher himself goes, there are no techniques that will guarantee humility. Like, I don't sign Bibles, or um, I don't write articles, or I don't tweet, or I don't blog, or I don't write books. or Because as soon as you say, I don't something, the battle of the proud heart shifts over onto what you do do. I remember back when I used to teach at Bethel uh, College, in Bethel College um, for a while I was writing scholarly books and articles, and that seemed ego-enhancing. And so I pulled back on it. And as soon as I pulled back on it, the pride in me just shifted its ugly head over onto my uh, college classroom student assessment forms. (laughs) I'm going to get the best assessment forms from these students when I hand mine into the dean at the end of the semester. They're going to rank me as a high, you know, effective teacher. Well, now what I'm going to do, quit teaching? Okay, if I quit teaching, it's going to shift over onto whatever, salesmanship. I'm going to be the best salesman in this insurance company. And then then if I quit that, I'm going to be the best husband. If I quit that, I'm going to be the best golfer. If I quit that, I'm going to be the best bum on the street that there is, you know, because pride is the issue. 
it isn't what you do out here. It's it's in inside, and and the 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 Lord has a way of just smacking us down. And I'll just give you a concrete illustration. Here we're talking on what the twentieth of October, two thousand eleven, and. I had to decide this morning, shall I read all of my devotions, I'm reading the McShane reading pen, and pray the way I usually do, or should I cut it short and get ready for this interview <laughs> and read some more stuff that would help me get ready? And I said, Lord, I'm just going to stay with the plan and, and read my Bible. And guess, guess what the text was? First Kings 21 and Nebuchadnezzar getting a dream that uh, this tree is going to be cut down and the stump is going to be covered with dew and it's going to have to be seven durations of time out there in the wilderness and his fingernails were going to grow as long as as eagle's claws and his hair is going long as feathers and he's going to eat grass like an ox until he learned that God rules over the kingdom of men and gives the kingdom to whom he pleases. The whole point of the chapter was, you get an uppity heart towards me, Mr. King, and I will put you down. And he did. I mean, Daniel had to, had to tell him, this is you, King. And, and he, <laughs> he didn't learn the lesson at all. By the end of the year, he's walking around and said, is not this great Babylon, whom I, which I have built with my power? And bang! The Lord clobbered him and knocked his reason right out of his head. And here's the interesting part. At the end, it says, and after seven times, his reason returned to him, and he lifted his eyes toward heaven and learned that God is the one who gives the kingdom in. Now, that's a little paradigm. That it happened to me this morning is providentially what the Lord does to us big shots. And number two, the, the lesson was, if you begin to let your success, that is publication of books or lots of people looking at your internet site or lots of people coming to your church, those, those so-called symptoms of success, if that begins to go to your head and that becomes the thing, God will go after you. He loves you. He will, he will jerk your leash or he will cut off your tree. He will smack you down and do whatever he has to do because he, he, he loves you. And so the issue, David, is indeed John Piper's heart. It's not John Piper's techniques of self-effacement or anything else. It's have, have I discovered that I am saved by grace? Maybe the last thing we should end with is the other thing that came to my mind this morning was when the disciples came back from their exploits of defeating the devil, and Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And then he said, but don't rejoice in this, that the devil is subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Mm-hmm. All of us people who, who carry a lot of influence should remember the most amazing thing is that we're saved. We're saved by grace. We were dead in our trespasses. He came to us and he plucked us out of that miry bog. He saved us by grace. And the most amazing thing to us is not that we've written a book or that we have people come to our church or that we have a website. We should be 10,000 times more amazed. I'm saved. My name is written in the book of life. I'm going to heaven, which puts us on a level with the simplest saint in the world. They're equally amazed. And we're all just amazed together that we're saved. Amen, John. Would you close us in prayer for our leaders and pastors who are listening? 
Father in heaven, we are aware that even as we speak about humility, we can be proud of speaking about humility. This is how subtle we all know it is. And so we ask for the miracle of self-forgetfulness, the miracle of freedom from self-preoccupation. So rivet us on the doctrines of grace and the truth of your word and the preciousness of your people and the call of servanthood that we would be faithful and that we would be humbly devoted to building up your people, not enhancing our status. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.